It's good to be in God's presence, isn't it? It's good to be before the throne of grace. And uh, I want to just thank Dan and Marcus and the team who just led us in worship brilliantly this morning, didn't they? Just thank you, guys. Fantastic job. Well done, Sam. Did a brilliant job. Thank you. Yeah. Now, while we're in the presence of God and before the throne of grace, it's a good place for us to allow God to do some heart work with us. I was at a meeting yesterday at King's Church in Manchester with a couple of other people, and the prophetic word came. God says, I want you to attend to your heart. I want you, and, and it wasn't, you know, sometimes we can feel like, oh, it's really, really heavy. But when it's before the throne of grace, when it's a father who loves us, and it's, it's not about judging, it's not about exposing, or if it is exposing, it's simply that we can get real and deal with the stuff that needs to be dealt with. So I, I want you to bear that in mind, that God is asking us to attend to our heart, and everything that I have to share this morning is, is just based on that. I want us to allow God to do whatever he needs to do in our hearts. Because you know, the word of God has come to us about Haggai and the word come together to build God's house. Come together to build God's house. That word has been coming to us, hasn't it? Yeah. Do you know in the, in the, um, in Haggai where it says consider your ways, the new international version says consider your ways. One other version says what that literally means is this. He says, make preparations in your heart or, or consider your heart. And as we, as we're responding to God's word to come together to build his house, and my friends, what we just touched upon this morning is, it's what it's all about because the house we're building is for, is for God to dwell in by his spirit. It's for his presence and for his glory. And I just want to remind you a, a word that I brought a, a few weeks ago. Um, actually, before I, before I say that, let me just read this to you. I put a reflection at the beginning of this November news in relation to this word come together, because this, all I wanted to share is about, is really to do with this happening. It says, right now, there is a prophetic burden for us to come together to build God's house. There is a call of the Spirit for us to come together to work on God's house together. It's a time to come together as one. You've got the word there. It's to come together. Yeah, you've got that. <laughs> it's very clear. It's not a time for us to be just doing our own thing, forging our own paths, or looking on from the sidelines. It's a time to come together, whatever that may look like practically, but it will include meeting together. Praying together, worshipping together, serving together, giving together. It will include working hard at relationships, resolving conflicts, and loving each other well. It will include listening to each other and not making assumptions about each other. It will include each owning our vision together. And honoring the gifts we each bring to the work of building. Above all, it will mean building ourselves up in love as each part does its work. It is over such a house that God will command his blessing. Now I want to talk to you a little bit about building a house and something that needs, I believe, to happen before we can build the house. 
And I'd like to start going back to Ephesians 3, where I was a, a few weeks ago. But this is all a part and parcel of what Dan has been bringing as well, about coming together to build. And you'll remember as well that I, I, I well, I, some of you may remember if you were here, that I talked about being rooted and founded in love. Because although God is talking about, um, where did it go? God is talking about, um, oh, there it is. God is talking about building a house, but we've also been talking about the tree. And, and part of what we're doing in our whole vision is to learn to live in love, and that the tree represents that. And it talks about learning how to love one another well and to create a culture of love that transforms people. So whether you're talking about the tree or whether you're talking about a house, you're talking about a culture where we love one another well. So that when people come among us, they get transformed because there's such a culture of love among us. And that's when I talked about, well, that's why it all begins with being rooted, in Ephesians 3, being rooted and founded. There you've got the tree and the building together. Rooted and founded in love. And it goes on at the end of Ephesians 3. It says, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. In other words, he's praying, I pray that because you're rooted and founded in love and you've grasped this love, that the glory that is in Christ will be the same glory that's in the church. In other words, this, the church will look like Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is just, his whole of Ephesians letters, first three chapters of Ephesians letter about this is, this is the purpose of God. The glory of God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And this should be able to be said, if you want to know what Jesus is like, look at the church. That we are going to be a church that looks like Jesus. That's what he's passionate about. And he says this, therefore, and this is what I'm going to read from you, Ephesians 4. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of this great calling that you have received. In other words, to be a church that looks like Jesus, that is a house that is filled with his glory. In view of that calling, I want you to live a life worthy of that calling. What does a life worthy of that calling look like? Well, he, te- he tells us in the next verses, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Please notice this. Make every effort. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You're one, he says. And I can't help when I read that, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. I can't help but remember the prayer of Jesus. I pray, Father, speaking of us all, his disciples, that they may be one, just as you and I are one, so that the world might believe. So we might reach and transform a world. The oneness and the unity of Christ is absolutely essential to effectively reaching the world. I like the way Eugene Peterson puts this. I want to honor Eugene Peterson. You know he died. He went to be with the Lord just a few weeks ago. Great man of God, not only through the message, but if you 
get the chance to hear some of his teachings or read some of his books. He's, a, he's great. I, like, I love the way it says it here. This is Paul says, well, this is what I want you to do. I want you to walk, even better yet, run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily, pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love. Pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love. Alert at noticing differences and quick, quick at mending fences. You are all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction. So stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. Actually come to be together, meet together, but be together in your heart as well. Let me carry on reading in Ephesians 4 a little bit. Because it then goes on to say this. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned. In other words, sorry, we're back on the NIV. I'm sorry, Paul. (laughs) We're all one. Let's keep together. We're all united and in that next verse. And yet we're all different. God has given us different gifts. We're graced for different things. This is, this is why when Jesus ascended on high, he took captives many, sorry, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And then he, we'll forget the parenthesis, we'll forget the bit in brackets. It goes on. I'm not saying it's not important, but it's not important to the word I'm bringing right now. Okay. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the patches and, patches, pastors and teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In other words, the church looks just like Jesus. And so I want you to keep, I want you to be one, but you're all different. And then it says, so I've given these gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. By the way, they're not the different gifts. The different gifts he's referring to are coming in a minute when he says, those guys are just to prepare you for all the gifts that you've got and to do the work of calling and ministry that God's called you to. And can I just say this? The works of ministry, the works of service, are not just jobs in the church. Because we're called to transform a world. If we just think in terms of, what's my job in the church? Our, our thinking is too small. And God spoke to us last year, I remember, well, a couple of years, when I was speaking on Ruth, says, the, the, the arena of the church is too small an arena. The, the world is our stage, if you like. The world is our dance floor. Great what we're doing here this morning. But we're meant to dance out in the whole world. Make a difference out in the whole world. Please don't see your work of ministry as a job in the church. It's to be used by God, whatever you're doing, whether you're in a hospital or a factory or a school or, a, or on the road as a businessman, whatever. It's to, that's your work of ministry. Apart from anything else. And the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, church leaders, if you like, are not there teaching how to be a better doctor or a better manager. They're there, the word equip has a sense of restore. In other words, that they build, they build church together with you so that when we come together, we feel restored, we feel refreshed, we feel built up so that we're now to, to be able to go out into the world and do our ministry, most of us, 
out in the world. Please see ministry, works of service, as not just taking place in the church, but in the whole world. And as we do that, the church, the church which is effective in the world, not just when it gathers together, looks like Jesus. He says, when we get this, when we allow this to happen, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up. It's building. Builds itself up. How? In love. As each part does its work. Keep this with me. You know that whole thing about uh, wind of teaching? When, we, when, we're, when we're building God's house like this, when we're, we're keeping together, but allowing leadership gifting to equip us and prepare us for our work of ministry in the world. Um, I'll come back to Eugene Peterson in a minute. It says, when we're doing that, we'll become mature and we won't be blown about by every wind of teaching. When I've seen, when I've, when I've read that verse in the past, I've always thought wind of teaching was like heresy. Wind of teaching is like a heresy. And, and you know, there can be that. There are heresies out there. There are things that are just not in keeping with the gospel. But you don't have to, by the way, you don't have to go down to the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons or whatever to find heresy. You can find it in the church sometimes. So when anybody tries to put legalism on you and give you the idea that Christian life is about keeping the rules, that's a heresy. Paul says it's a heresy. It's, by the way, a call to commitment and discipline is not the same thing as putting rules on you, by the way. It's just, but, but if anyone tries to put legalism on you, that's heresy. But I don't think wind of teaching necessarily means heresy. I think it could be good stuff. There's lots of things that now and again the Spirit comes and he blows some fresh air into his body. And some new stuff comes and he deposits new stuff and it's great. But God spoke to me a couple of years ago. He says you can't build with the wind. You can't build with the wind. So we have to decide, are we going to be wind chasers or house builders? And if we're going to be house builders, we will receive the good stuff that the Holy Spirit is blowing through his church. But our passion then will be, I want to build that into the house that God has called us to build here. Do you understand the difference? It's not, it's not just flying a kite. That's a wind chaser, isn't it? And I could do that. Hear me, hear me, hear me right here. Culture of honor. Good stuff. We all receive some good stuff. Well, any of us who know what I'm talking about receive some good stuff from that. Danny's still culture of honor. Wonderful. But are you going to be a wind chaser or are you going to build that into the house? I don't just want to fly a kite for culture of honor. I want to take what I can from that and build it into the house. Emotionally healthy spirituality. You know I'm passionate about emotionally healthy spirituality. Peter Scazzaro and stuff. I love it. But I don't want to just fly a kite for it. I want to build it into the house. Do you understand what I'm saying? Could be anything. Could be supernatural ministry, word of faith teaching, inner healing. These are great things. Great things. But I want to build them into the house, not just chase the wind of teaching. Do you understand what I'm saying, folks? I want to build them into the house. And if we're going to build them into the house, we have to be able to receive the leadership teaching, leadership gifting that helps us 
to build the house, not just chasing the wind. And that's why the whole Ephesians 4 ministries, what could be called the Ascension Gift Ministries, are important. Because they know how to build a house by the grace of God. Now, again, I'm going to read the message version of this, and you'll see why in a moment. Excuse me if I get breathless. Um, all that dancing. It says... Um, He handed out gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to train Christians in skilled servant work um, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. It says when we receive those gifts that Christ has given to the church, we'll be able to move rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God. Now when I read that, the rhythmically and in tune with one another, I couldn't help but think about the dance. I just, yeah, I couldn't help but think. So I'm going to change the image for a minute from the house to the dance, from the house builder, the, the architects to the, to the dance. And one of the things that, if you like, a leader does and a, the Ascension Gift Ministry does is to help to choreograph the dance. And you might remember when I talked about the dance. You see, Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are in a dance called the perichoresis. One of the main things I taught about the dance was this. is that You see, pendulum swinging is not a good way to move forward. And that's what we've experienced sometimes. Oh, into strong, wrong leadership. Oh, no, 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 we're not into leadership at all. Oh, no, no, we're into strong leadership. Oh, no, 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 that's not a good way to move forward. With a dance, you're able to emphasize different things at different times. You move in different ways at different times. And what a choreographer does is know which way we need to go at any one point. And what, what needs to happen at any one point in the dance. And, you know, you might think, for example, things like, well, I thought we were all into quiet contemplative stuff now. But that, well, we weren't this morning. That wasn't quite a contemplative. That was pretty wild, you know. I said, well, we, well, and by the way, the dance we're doing is not, is not the tango. <laughs> Quiet and contemplative, no. Wild and, you know, dancey, whatever. No, no. The dance, you know what? I can be quiet and contemplative. And then I'm moving back a little bit here. Into a bit of wild and whatever. I'm wild. Why am I calling it wild? I don't know. You, you all will remember. You must remember when I had Jim up here <laughs> dancing a couple of years. Would you like to do it again, Jim? No, it's all right. <laughs> so part of it is, is a leader knows or, or, or has a grace gifting. It's not, by the way, because they're better than anybody else, superior to anybody else, more important than anybody else. They've just got a grace gifting. And when it's a grace gifting, they didn't do anything to deserve it or earn it. God just gave it to them. And they used it to help choreograph the dance or build the house, whichever you Another way I, put, I said it is the choreographer is not just telling everybody what to do. You do this, you do. A choreographer is working it out with the dancers and he's part of the dance himself, or she is. And, and so, anybody looking on, they wouldn't know who the choreographer was. They just see the beauty of the dance. But those who are dancing need to know who the choreographer is. 
or who they are and respond to them if this dance is going to work. And do you know what? Here's another thing about the dance. That's another thing I brought out at the time, I think, was the choreographer wants everybody, everybody, to play their part in the dance. And they want them to flourish and bring their gifts to the dance. And remember, the dance floor is the whole world. Not just the church or even a church meeting. So narrow. It's the whole world. And he wants everybody flourishing in this dance. Okay? But sometimes they'll say, you're going to have to hold that. Because we're not at that point yet. You've got something wonderful and beautiful to bring, but we need to do this, these bits first. And actually it would help if you just let me teach you these basic steps first. Shuffle, bull change. That's a tap dance. Okay? Well, once you can do shuffle, bull change, and you've learned a few tap you can very easily then do a, a time step, you see, like that. There we go. But you have to learn the basics before you can do the whole dance. And that was pretty basic, to be honest. That was very rubbish, but... Eventually, you can do even more than that. It's, let, me, let me just, and this is why you need to understand where a leader is coming from when they're trying to choreograph something. They're not trying to, they're not trying to cramp your style. They're not trying to hold you back. Let me just change again to the illustration of the building. We're doing this wonderful, wonderful building, like a wonderful cathedral. And somebody comes and they says, look, I've got this wonderful stained glass window. Oh, it's going to fit in this cathedral beautifully. I've got this wonderful thing. Can you see all the colours? And oh, it's, it's all beautiful. And and I say, let's just say I'm the master builder at the moment. I'm leading the building project. I say, oh, that's fantastic. That's going to fit brilliantly. Okay, let's do it then. I say, not now. And he says, hang on. Don't you appreciate the beauty of my gift? Don't you love all the different hues and shades of my dreams? I don't, don't want, do you, can you not imagine what it's going to be? I, I say, yes, I can. I think it's going to be wonderful. Oh, it's all the reds and the yellows and the blue. Can you not see them all? And I wonder, I think it's going to be wonderful. I said, well, what if you think it's so wonderful? What's the problem? Why can't I put my window in? And I say, well, I think we should build the wall first that the window is going to go in. Can you come and help me build the wall? You know, there's an order to building the house. There's a pattern choreographing the dance and folks if if we just want to do our own thing or stand on the edges and not get involved in the dance remember the word of God is to come together and even maybe to stand on the edges and just start criticizing and complaining and thinking well it doesn't like my stained glass window difficult to make progress it's difficult to do what God wants us to do do you know in the building of the house we have got to put back some things we took out <laughs> just remembering in terms of building William, going back thinking about the wind chasing or whether you're going to chase a wind or build a house William Faulkner the American novelist was once asked what's it like writing a book and he said it's a bit like building a chicken coop in a hurricane he says, what you do is you just, you just capture whatever flies by and you kind of nail it down as quick as you can to make your chicken coop. So we're building more than a chicken coop. We're building the house of God. That's why it's not just a window teaching, but 
if we're going to progress with the house of God, we can't just think about what Peterson said in Ephesians 4. We can't just do our own thing, just go down our own path. Or just stand on the edges. Or worse. Why am I saying this? You know, think, well, okay, Trev. You want to... Are you promoting yourself here as the choreographer, as the builder? Is that what you're doing here? We you ought to... Do you see, spiritual authority, by the way, one of the things we've got to build back in, that's where I got off my thing, is, is something we need to make sure we're still building into the house. And don't believe in hierarchy, as such as it's usually meant. What I mean by hierarchy is somebody who just gives all the orders, commands and controls, because they've got the, you know, the, um, the badge or whatever. They've got the stripes. They're in charge. They're going to tell you what to do. And you just better do it. Otherwise you'll be in trouble. That's hierarchy. It's not spiritual authority. Spiritual authority is different. The Bible says spiritual authority is to build you up, not to pull you down. Spiritual authority is there to build the house. And we've got to be sure we, didn't, we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. We throw out spiritual authority because we don't want hierarchy. And... Um, I, a couple of weeks ago, when, when the word came about bringing the new out of the old, we sang Majesty. Beautiful song. Great song that stood the test of time. And the line in there says, Kingdom authority flows from your throne unto your own. It's kingdom authority. It's not worldly authority. It's kingdom authority. Worldly authority wants to dominate, wants to control, but kingdom authority wants to empower and build up. And it is still authority. It is still leadership. And um, it's more like the authority of somebody who goes in to build a house and they know, they can say things like, they don't just come in to give all their orders. They come in and say, you know, we're going to have to build, we're going to have to take that wall down. Because it isn't built right. Or, you know, we can't plaster over those cracks. There's something wrong there. I've got to be careful here because I know nothing about building houses or DIY, but you've got the idea. It's that kind of authority because they have a gifting to know. What needs to be done? It's not command and control. So now you think, what's me thinking? Okay, Trevor's saying all this because he wants us to do what he says. <laughs> well, Alison, follow them. Well, partly it's true. You know, Paul writing to the Corinthians says, "You know what? I don't, I don't want to have to commend myself. I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have to give you my credentials." I feel like a fool doing this, but I'm, I've got to do it. You're forcing me to. Because Corinth at the time were not receiving, some of the people in Corinth were not receiving his apostolic ministry or his leadership ministry. And he said this, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need like some people letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You're written on our hearts. I'm talking about for Alison and I right now. I know it's true we should honor every gift, every leadership gift. But I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm opening my heart to you. On behalf of Alison and I, you are written on our hearts. We are passionate to see every one of you become all that God's called you to be and to do all that he's called you to do, wherever and whatever that might be. But there's a pattern and there's an order and there's a way of doing things. You have to 
I can put it like this. I know it's like you have to, but we need you to trust us if we're going to do it. And Paul, again, writing, and I know this is pretty strong, folks, but I'm being honest with you because at times, and if we're going to come together to build God's house, and what I'm saying is in Ephesians 4, it shows us that how we respond to leadership is a key to keep working in unity and diversity together. How we respond to leadership. And there are times, I'm just being honest with you, I feel I could say with Paul, we've spoken freely to you guys and opened wide our hearts to you. That's what I'm doing right now. We're not withholding our heart from you. But I know this is not true of everyone, but some of you are withholding yours from us. And as a fair exchange, I speak to you as a father to his children. Please open wide your hearts also. I'm not complaining. I'm not commanding. I'm appealing, as Paul says elsewhere in Corinth, I'm appealing with the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Open your hearts to us. Not because I want you to be nice to me. Though I like that when you are nice to me. But because I want to build his house with you. I want to see the beauty of the dance with you. And it's time for me to be honest and open my heart. Sometimes it's felt like I'm going to change another. I'm going to change the illustration again. Now it's not a choreographer with a dance, but a conductor with an orchestra. And I don't like that one so much because the doctor's standing up at the front and it's all very static. I much prefer the choreographer because he's part of the dance or she is part of the dance. But the conductor said, right, we're going to play a beautiful symphony together. You know, there comes a point when everybody's just practicing the, of the, before they start. And then the conductor just taps, taps on the, does that sound like an orchestra? Yeah, I like, think. He taps on the lectern or whatever, and it stops, and we're ready to work together now. Sometimes I'm being honest with you, if I'm just being really honest, I'm hoping to wipe my hearts. Sometimes it's felt we've done that. And we just, people just carried on playing, doing their own thing. And it's not that I want to be all commanding control. I just, I just want us to play together. And every one of us brings a different instrument with a different emphasis. And, and, and you have different parts, but it's the same piece of music. Yeah? And when we follow a leader, not out of command and control, then we can create something beautiful. So we go back to building and to Ezra chapter 3. You see, folks, I said at the beginning, God's asking us to attend to our hearts. And I'm just opening my heart to you. It's where it's at for us. So we, what we want to do, and we're just asking you to open your hearts to us. And um, I know many of you do. And By the way, opening wide your heart... It could include saying, Trev, you hurt me when you said that. You offended me when you did that. Or, Trev, I don't understand. But it doesn't come with accusation or with blame or to beat me with. It comes with a desire to be forbearing with one another in love, to forgive one another, to get it right, to resolve the issues, mend the fence. But if we're not careful, 
when little gaps open up, there's misunderstandings, kind of just jumping to conclusions about what a person's motive is, why they're doing what they're doing. When that happens, if we're not careful, it can become worse than that. Because there is an enemy who'll try to get in every gap. And a misunderstanding can very quickly, under the influence of the enemy, if we're not careful, that's why we have to guard our hearts, it can become a lie. Let me just, I'm going to say it. And I mean it with with an open heart. I just, because I love you. Um, I know some of you, your fear is, this conductor thing, Trevor, what we're really fearing is somehow the lights are suddenly going to go down on the orchestra, come up on the conductor, and it's, ta-da! It's all about me, and you're just the background. That's a lie. It's not what my heart is. My heart is to hear the music. My heart is to see the dance. My heart is to build a house. Ezra chapter 3. Before they could build the house, the first thing they did before they did the house was the altar. Just look at it with me. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled with one accord in Jerusalem. Notice that. They assembled with one accord. They weren't only together, they were in one heart. You know, in Pentecost, have you ever thought about this? At Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, it says, they were all together in one place. Well, of course they were in one place if they were together. And if they're in one place, well, they're together. Why does it say that? Because I think it's saying, I want you to be together inwardly and outwardly. In one place is just outwardly. Together is inwardly. And here they're together inwardly. They're in one accord. Then Joshua, son of Josedach, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates, began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it. Please notice, it began, the building of the offering began with the leaders. If you want to be a leader, you've got to be able to build an altar. Let me explain what I mean by the altar first. Um, Despite the fear of the people around them, despite all the anxiety and the fear and the accusation that comes out of that, because hurt people hurt people and so all that coming out, he says they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening sacrifices. The altar... Yes, it is about worshipping God. But it's not just worshipping God in terms of lifting songs. We had a wonderful time of worship this morning. It's, it's worshipping God with such an open heart that's open before him and it's open before one another. So John says, you cannot say you love God and hate your brother. It's, oh, I don't hate your brother. I don't hate the brother. But, but even just false accusations or criticisms of him with other people rather than to him. Coming and working it out. He says, in other words, John says, if we say we're walking in the light, but we, or we, no, if we say we have fellowship with God, you know, we're worshiping God, but we're walking in the darkness, he says, the truth isn't on this. We're not being real with ourselves. He says, but if we walk in the light, in other words, we're open with one another. We're open hearted towards one another. We, we resolve issues. We don't let them linger. When we resolve those issues, he says, if we walk in the light, he says, then, we have fellowship with one another. Not just fellowship with God, but fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ purifies us from all sin. That's what happens at the altar. I must finish on this. 
God was speaking to me about this. This is why I knew I had to bring this word. I know it's, I know in many ways it's a challenging word to bring. It's a tough word. Believe me, it's tough to bring it. I know it might be tough to listen to it, but it's tough to bring it. But, um, God spoke to me about the altar. He says, sometimes we go through hard, rocky places in life. Hence the rocks, if you haven't seen them. Bad things happen to us. Sometimes traumatic things, explosive, some real explosive thing happens and rocks are produced. Or sometimes it's just the grind of life eroding at us and rocks are produced. And I was asking God about this. He spoke to me and says, you can do three things with the altar. You can just carry your stones, the, the, st- the rocks that are produced, not the altar, sorry, the rocks that are produced. You can either carry them around. I'm going to have filthy hands after this. Uh, you can just carry them around and they're weighing you down. Or you can throw them at people. Don't worry, I'm not going to. Hurt people, hurt people. You throw them at one another. He says, or you can build an altar. In other words, you bring all that stuff, all that rock before God. And guess what he'll say to you? He says, I I love you, son. I want your gift. I'm glad you bring this a bit. In order to do this right, before you bring your gift at the altar, go and be reconciled to your brother. In other words, we've got to keep real about this. Don't say you're loving me and you're worshipping But there's issues that you're not resolving. That's what building the altar really means, my friends. You can either carry those rocks around and be weighed down or we can throw them at one another or we can build an altar to God. Now, that's what God was speaking to me about two weeks ago. Some of you will remember Luke Commander, Luke and Britta. Luke is helping lead a church in Germany. And he and I Skype from time to time. I just keep in touch with him. It's great what they're doing there. He's helping to lead this church. And he was telling me because they've been through some difficult times as a church. And a gentleman had come in to try to help them. And they had a recon- what they called a reconciliation meeting. And just Luke, not knowing anything about what God had spoken to me, he said, this is what happened at the meeting. The guy brought some rocks in. He put them on the floor. And he had a, his message, his message was about let him who has, who is without sin cast the first stone. And by the way, you know, the treasure, all of us, the treasure we have is in jars of clay. There's loads of cracks and chips in all of us. And yeah, you know, I've got loads of cracks and chips you could point out. Okay, I could find, I could show you ones that you don't even know about yet. Okay, we could, but we could all do that. He said, but who is without sin cast the first stone? And then the meeting went on and what happened afterwards is they just, um, they prayed together and they broke bread together. And what, he, what happened was, as they were doing that, people started getting the rocks. And they have a cross in the church, and they brought them and put them in front of the cross. Instead of holding on to them, or instead of throwing them at anybody, they decided they were going to build an altar. And Luke is just describing to me a meeting that was basically the word that God had spoken to me. Folks, you can either, we can either carry these rocks. It's my altar. Either carry these rocks, throw them at each other, or we can build an altar. And that means being right with God and right with one another. And I'm asking you simply, I'm, I'm finishing on this, but God did say to me, I do believe this is what God said to me. If we can't build the altar, 
we can't build the house. If we can't build the altar, we can't build the house. And we want to build a house, don't we? A house that is full of his glory. Now, it will be very tempting now to ask Marcus to come in and play some beautiful music. And we break bread, build an altar. I don't want us to do that. I want to take you back to what Haggai said. Examine your heart. Make preparations in your heart. The prophetic word that came to us yesterday, attend to the matters of your heart. And where you need to put things right. Where you have genuine questions, but it's, you're not asking them to the right person. I'm going to ask you to respond to what God is saying to us today. If we don't build the altar, we don't build the house. I say this, my friends, not to judge, not to accuse, not to promote myself, but simply because I, like you, want to see a house built that is fit for his glory. But we have to build an altar if we're going to build the house. So Holy Spirit, we ask you, Search our hearts. We, we, we can't trust ourselves to do it on our own. This is going to require such self-awareness. So Holy Spirit, search our hearts and know us. Show us where there's things in us that offend you, Lord, and that where we need to put it to get it right. Show us where we need to build an altar and how to do it, Lord. What it means for us practically in this time. Amen. I'm going to make sure that everybody in this church who wants to build with us still hears this word. It's important that they hear this word. If we're going to build a house, we've got to build the altar.